listening to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. Yellow. And we are coming to you from the Driven Radio Studios. Real quick, we've got an, in, uh, several interviews that are forthcoming in another show, but this is the first show we've done since the weekend. We have to thank David Morton. Dude, he uh, what, talk about doing us a solid. Uh, of Mecham Auctions for getting us such a fantastic place to set up and record at the show this weekend down at Bartle Hall, or I guess it's the Kansas City Convention Center. Kansas City Convention Center, yeah. Does that mean that all of Roe Bartle's kids have, have died now and there's no one to stand up for his name? <laughs> that may be it, or maybe they got tired of the, the hair curlers. Yeah, that might be it, too. Top. Anyway, David Morton, <laughs> uh, thank you so much. We had a fantastic time, lots of great interviews, got mm-hmm. to see a lot of friends walking through, got to see Tyler Hoover walking through, uh, Vern Estes, uh, former co-host, got to see him walking by, but he had his son in tow, so he couldn't really yeah, stop so and chat. Cute. And got to see Corey, got to have Daryl Ospick on the show. It was a really good time. So, Vern, or uh, David, thank you so very much for having us on and uh, getting us really fantastic. Right at the top of the escalator, Dude, we could watch right everybody there. come and go. People watching, car watching, because they were driving right by. There was some uh, some spectacular people watching out there. Um, there was a gal from one of the Harry Potter movies. I think she's about seven foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> very, very... <laughs> She was a long drink of water. Yeah, there were some interesting critters walking around at that sale. Truth. But very, very cool stuff. David Morton, thank you again. Our special guest this week is Rodney Kemmerer. Rodney's a lifelong automotive enthusiast who still has all of his childhood model cars, as well as most of those he's had as an adult. Rodney's writing has appeared in Garage Style Magazine, Hemming's Classic Car, Rolls-Royce Flying Lady, the BMW Roundel, the Peterson Museum Finish Line Magazine, Vintage Road and Race Car, Bentley Drivers Club Review, Old Cars Weekly. I think his stuff has been more places than mine. Oh, yeah. He's even written for the L.A. Times. Rodney has a new book called Tales from the Garage that has a foreword by previous guest Don Weberg of Garage Style Magazine. Rodney, welcome to Driven Radio. Well, guys, Brett, Mark, thanks. This we're, is fun. We're thrilled to have you. Uh, this book, like I we were talking earlier, I've had this sitting on my nightstand for a while, and it has just been so handy to grab and read a couple stories at night before I'm going to bed. Uh, very cool. Tales from the Garage seems to parallel your own timeline as a lifelong car guy. Was that the intent from the start or something that kind of took place during the genesis of the book? Well, it, it kind of evolved. I didn't start out to write a book. It was not, it was not on my bucket list. It's like, oh, what am I doing today? Oh, why don't I write a book? Um, I've been writing for a couple of years, you know, for you know various magazines just as a sort of freelancer. And, you know, you get a piece here and a piece there and, you know, you think you've hit a home run. But nobody reads a byline in a magazine article, I can tell you. Nobody cares who writes magazine articles. And then I ran into Don Weberg at a, at a car show one day and he showed me his magazine, uh, Garage Style Magazine. And I was really kind of taken with it. And I kind of suddenly found myself pitching him the idea for a column. 
And Don was foolish enough to say, yeah, sure, write me a column, you know, and I'm going, I've never written a column before in my life. What do I know about writing a regular column? So I, you know, he took it on faith. I took it on faith and I started writing columns for his magazine. Uh, that was back, God, maybe 2012 or something like that. And, uh, you know, I kind of never looked back from that. Um, so I had accumulated a lot of these columns and stuff, and there they were, and I owned them, and I kind of thought, well, what am I going to do? And then I thought, gee, maybe I could reformat them because and find a bigger audience for them. Uh, so that's the genesis of it. That was like I thought, well, it was like, you know, recycling. You know, I'm <laughs> recycling my articles. But uh, you did a rather yeah. beautiful job of recycling them. Well, here's the thing. This, this is about kind of it's like I'm thinking, well, who's going to care about a book by an unknown automotive writer? I mean, how am I going to sell that? So I put some thought into it and I thought, well, what can I do to create something that is not in the marketplace at all or has ever been in the marketplace? Uh, so the first thing was the sort of shape of the book was cars are long. They're not tall. So a regular book doesn't lend itself to automotive graphics or pictures of cars. So I decided on this longer than wide format. Uh, then I kind of honed in on this automotive owner's manual size because I thought it felt familiar. Everybody's very familiar with that shape where you open it up and you look for the light bulbs or you look for the oil or whatever it is you're looking up in the owner's manual. And that's how I kind of landed on the shape of it. Uh, then I thought, well, okay, I don't want it to be you open it up and there's a lot bunch of text and there's a couple pictures here and there and it's a car book. I thought, well, because I have a magazine background, I want I want you you engage people by the graphics. And the way you engage with a car. You are attracted to a car primarily visually first. If it happens to have a big engine and a lot of other fun stuff, great. But if it doesn't attract you visually, you're not going to look at it. You're going to laugh at it. So I thought I needed something to pull you into these tales. Something so that then I got the idea like, well, okay, each chapter is going to have its own visual language. And that's that's what the book has. So if you thumb through it, no font is repeated other than the text font is repeated, but all of the fonts for the titles and the graphics and so forth are all unique to each story. Then I wanted the graphics to bleed into each other so that each story is a standalone piece so that the graphics continue from one page to the other. So you always know which tale you're in. Also, I designed it in such a way so that you can pick it up and you can say, oh, yellow. I've always liked yellow. So you can read the yellow tale <laughs> uh, or you can pick it up and say, well, I've always liked dune buggy. So I'm going to read the dune buggy story. So I made it kind of user friendly, you know. What I've learned now that now that it's kind of out in the world and being handled by people I don't know, which is, you know, kind of a strange feeling, um, people get really excited because they see the title or they see the cover and they go, can you hold it up? There, you got it there. Uh, they, the cover is intriguing because there's a three bay garage and there's one kind of sticking out and two blank bays. So you kind of say, Tales from the Garage. Well, maybe one of the stories is about that car that's peeking out. But what's behind door number one and door number three? So it's kind of a mystery. But then when you open it, it's this kind of explosion of colors and graphics and stuff 
that makes people smile. You know, they just smile. And I think it's kind of tickling the kid in people because it's like when they, with a kid book, it's all about colors and graphics. So I've made kind of a kid book, but has adult text. So you get to uh, have both worlds, I think, was my idea. It took a long time, guys. I got to <laughs> tell you, <laughs> this, I didn't knock this out, you know, one night after dinner. thought, oh, I think I'll just go create 30 original graphics and 30 original. Oh, my God. So I hired a graphic designer after interviewing a number. So I had to find somebody that I could work with. Because a lot of the ideas for the graphics, I would say, I want something like X. And then he would come back to me with a couple versions. And I would say, no, that's not quite right. I'm thinking more like this. So it was a collaboration with the, with the uh, designer back and forth. I got to tell you, some of these kittens were born in two seconds. Others took weeks to get out because they just did the design just wasn't the way I wanted it. And, you know, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, like all good car guys, you know, you kind of like you want it just right. You know, you want every wheel perfectly clean. I have a you vision. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, always ask, a, you know, obsessive compulsive person to do a book because you'll get a really good book that way. I'll let you know when I got <laughs> someday. Well, <time>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that's how it, that's how it really evolved. And the last thing that happened was while I was working on it and I'm kind of, you know, this is I called it my pandemic book. Because I did it during the pandemic. I'm oh. locked at home. What am I going to do? My wife and I ran out of things to talk about. And I said, I'm going to go in my room and work on the book. Uh, <laughs> so as I'm laying all the articles out, I'm suddenly dawning on me. I'm going, oh, my God, this is all me. Oh, me, me, me. It's all these me stories. And I thought, oh, this is horrible. I, I, no one's going to care about a story about me. So then I looked and I went, wait a minute. Is, it, is that really true? So then I took the stories and I put them into two piles, ones that were about other people and ones that were about me. And it just kind of worked out. 15 were about me and 15 were about other people. And I thought, I've got the perfect balance. So then I took the stories and uh, alternated them. So every other story. So every other story, one's about me, then one's about somebody else. So you don't get bored with my particular automotive life. You know, every car that I've owned and all that craziness. So then I got, I went even crazier. I went, okay, so I got, the, I got that problem solved. And I thought, how do I order these stories? How do I, you know, make sense of this since they don't relate to each other? And I thought, well, I know. I will take the sort of autobiographical stories and put them in chronological order. So if you read it from beginning to end, it's a memoir. It's my automotive memoir. Well, speaking of starting from childhood, lots of car people start out loving Hot Wheels and other car toys as a kid. And that's one of the stories in the book. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? About the model cars? Sure. Uh, I was I was a car-obsessed kid. I really was. And, you know, around you know, I get early 60s was sort of the beginning of the model car craze among kids. Uh, and I was, boy, I was at the right spot at the right time for that to happen. Uh, and I just couldn't wait. You know, it's like uh, there is one chapter in there called Model Behavior, which really just <laughs> outlines that whole obsessive period from ages maybe 10 to 13, where all I did was build model cars in the basement. You know, and I thought Ed Big Daddy Roth was this kind of god, you know, and, and on the West Coast. And I, I just thought, oh, my God, if I could only get to California, everything would be cool. 
the cars wouldn't rust. You know, I I built them for, you know, I say three years or so, you know, until I got, you know, very proficient at it. And then once the challenge of it it kind of, I I sort of lost interest because there was no longer a challenge. I could build a very perfect model of any car. So I kind of moved on to other car things. I could glue about any piece of chrome onto anything. I, I, uh, I built cars, model cars from the age of, uh, about 10 or 11 uh, until, you know, uh, early high school. Until Cammy made you quit. Well, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. I wasn't going to say that. But uh, I had, you know, I had the 40, the Fruhoff trailer. I built Ooh. those. I had a, a diesel wrecker that I built. And a buddy of mine named Paul, we used to build models together. And I, the reason I'm jumping in here even to share all that is because I got to, you know, kiss it up to heaven my mom and dad were so patient with their weird little son who would cover the entire dinner table with newspapers they just thought you were sniffing airplane they they weren't half wrong because it got uh it got pretty hairy in that tiny little house but uh such a good time and i i loved having them and i i i do wish i still had a couple of them but you know you sell them because you're going to college and you need money no a buddy and i used to build model cars from the 5th of july till the 3rd of July and then sacrifice them to the firecracker gods on the 4th of July. <laughs> that was popular. There was also at that time, there were those model kits of the classic monsters. Do you remember those? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Aurora uh, mm-hmm. manufacturing. And you could get Frankenstein, the mummy, Dracula and stuff. I, I will admit I didn't build them, but I did blow a few of them up with my friend. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. It was more fun to watch Frankenstein's head blow off than it was the hood of a car, you know. Well, and with some of them, they'd glow in the dark, so you'd wait and you'd do those when the sun went down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it, Dracula? A friend of mine had a Dracula that we did that, too, that we we exploded it. You know, I I didn't ever really blow up my model cars. A lot of them uh, melted because I had a tendency to use gasoline as paint thinner. Oh, yeah. Well, and that happened too. I learned that it ate it ate plastic like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I, I've learned that if you uh, drip burning plastic on the back of your hand, you remember to never do that ever again. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> that, only, baby. that only hurt for about a month. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make the observation. I'm guessing those pictures on the model box of sunny California going off a long way during a Pennsylvania winter. Oh yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> all, all car culture thing it all all car culture to me originated on the West Coast. You know, everything came from the West Coast. So that was the fantasy, you know. So I'm 10 years old in the basement going, how do I get to California? Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I can imagine. What story in the book has received the most feedback and why do you think that is? And do you have a favorite story? If Which one? Um, well, the, the one that gets the most attention, I think, and the one I hear from people the most, uh, and also has been reproduced in probably the most other publications, is uh, the one called Last Ride. Mm-hmm. And Last Ride is a three-part story. It's three different stories, but essentially it is about your dream car. Everybody has a dream car. Mm-hmm. And there's three stories in that piece. The first one is the dream not realized. The second one is the dream almost realized. And the third one is the dream realized. 
And that really touches people because they think, well, wait a minute, maybe I really do need to buy that car that I've been lusting after for 30 years. What am I waiting for? You know, what am I waiting for? Yeah, Mark, what are you waiting for? Uh, shut up. Stop it. It's like the preacher when you sit in the front row. He's always talking directly to you, even if he doesn't make eye contact. Yeah, you know? yeah. well, if- <laughs> that one speaks to everybody because everybody has that car. And here is three versions of how that can work out. Um, the first one, uh, the guy, the man, was a was the father of a friend of mine, and he was bedridden. And my friend used to go and visit him in Texas. And they didn't have much to say to each other because they didn't have much to say to each other when they were, you know, he was growing up. So he's sitting there and all of a sudden his father just kind of shouts out to the room. He just says, I should have bought Cadillacs. And we're going, and he's going, and his son is going, what? And it turns out that every, this was a very successful self-made guy, Texas guy, boots, all that stuff. Every year he bought a brand new Oldsmobile. Fully loaded, you know, da 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 da. But what his heart said, I really want a Cadillac. But he never gave himself the Cadillac. He was the Oldsmobile guy. So there he is now at the end of his life. He's not driving any car. He's lying there, can't do anything. All the Cadillac money is still in the bank. And he kind of says, I should have bought Cadillacs. And I thought, oh my God. I said to my friend, look at the gift he's giving you. He's saying to you, whatever it is you want to do, do it. Yeah. Because you only go around once. Yeah. Uh, second story is a guy who had the same thing. He was walking around and, and his kids were now grown and they had their own lives. And so he went back to get a car that he had had in college that he loved, which was a 56 T-Bird, black with black and white interior. Ooh. Loved the car. He had had to get rid of it because he couldn't keep it on the road. He's then now he was sort of in semi-retirement. He thought, I'm going to go get that car now. And he became ill during the process of getting that car. Mm. And he found it, but by the time he found it, he couldn't drive. And his wife would take him to the, the, the car, the classic car dealer, you know, and he'd sit in it every week for a couple hours. And then he passed. And then his son at the memorial service talked about the dream not realized. Mm. So the third, I'm giving you the whole chapter, but the third story was He's talking to you, Mark. <laughs> I can feel it. Yeah, I know. You should. You should. Live here a little bit. The third guy uh, was crazy for Corvettes. Absolutely crazy for Corvettes. And I think it was the year the C5 came out. What would that be about? 05? Uh, was that the C5? First year C5, C5 was 97. Oh. No, it must have been a C6 then. When was, what year was that? First year C6 was 05. Ah, then it was a C6. And that was a new model. He was crazed for that car. Absolutely crazed. Uh, but terrified because he didn't have much money. And his wife was uh, not appreciative of the automotive lifestyle. <laughs> That's familiar. <laughs> so he wanted me to go to the dealer to, to look at it because it was sitting on the floor. And he called me up and said, would you come with me? So I met, I knew right away I was now becoming the Corvette enabler. I was going to be the guy. <laughs> I'm familiar with that. This thing to happen, right? And I said, sure, I love it. Let's go look at the new Corvette. What fun. I can't wait. So we pile in the car. We go there. We look at the car. Of course, he's just crazy. He's got to have it. He's just nuts for it. And he kind of says, I, I don't know. And he said, you know, i got a good loan. My wife doesn't like it. She's going to divorce me. Da, 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 all this stuff. And I grabbed him by the shoulders and I said, look, 
there's only three things that can happen. One, you buy the car and you have it for the rest of your life and you love it and you're so happy you bought it. Two, you buy it and then you kind of regret that you bought it and think, eh. So then you sell it and only one of three things happen. You make money, you break even, or you lose money. I said, that's it. That's all that can happen. That is the worst thing that can happen. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, you're right. That's the worst thing. Let's go make an order. So he ordered the car. His wife still speaks to him. It changed, it changed his life. He drove that every weekend. He joined the Corvette Club. It just it transformed his life. So the dream realized. So that that chapter gets the most attention. Nice. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I couldn't relate to that at least a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to force Mark to get a Corvette eventually. <laughs> I don't know about that. But... <laughs> You have a car that you just secretly go, that's my car. I want that car. Um, yeah, I drove it back from California a couple of years ago. It's sitting <laughs> in my garage. And um, see, that's dream realized, though. You have it. Yes, I do. And I'm I'm thrilled about it. And I've been able to do that more than once. I've been very fortunate. What? One of my favorite quotes about the book is by Jay Leno. And he said, if you've ever loved a car or loved a person who loved a car, this book is for you. And it's much cheaper than actually buying a car. Uh, he really seemed to like the book, and so did a lot of other people who have. There are quotes in the book. Uh, it seems like every car world luminary who's worth his salt left you some kind of an accolade about it. Did you expect that? Did you expect the book to be so well received? No, not not at all. I mean, you know, as a as a magazine writer, you don't get any feedback. I mean, literally, none. I mean, you can write for years and you just, nothing. It's just because magazines are fairly disposable. So all of those quotes, uh, I have to tell you, have their roots in insecurity because I thought, who's going to care about a car book by an unknown writer? I, I really, I just thought, there's just no way. I said, there's nothing I can do. I said, what I need is people that have a, profile, a high profile. I had no profile, but I need people that have a kind of a profile to say nice things about it. But I didn't know if I could do that. I didn't know if I could get people to say nice things about it. Uh, so I started, you know, I just started with the people that I knew and said, look, I've, I've put this stuff together in a book and I've organized it and I've done all this artwork. And, you know, would you take, please take a look. And if you like it, write a little something that I can use, you know, on the back jacket and so forth. Uh, and I have to tell you, from the very beginning of that, these people were so nice, so generous, so I can't, it, it's, it's just stunning to me how generous these people were. They didn't know me from Adam. And I, I call this the adult book report. <laughs> <laughs> because Really, think about it. You look at that list of people and you say, man, these are really busy, high-profile people with big careers and stuff going on. You're going to them and you're saying, hi, excuse me, and you knock on their door. You don't know me, but would you stop your very busy life, read my book, and then write a paragraph about it? Well, that's a book report. I'm sorry. That's a book report. So I'm asking these people that are very busy – to do a stranger a solid, right? <laughs> um, and I have to tell you, the response 
surprised me. But what surprised me more was the generosity that these people gave to an unknown writer and the nice things that they said about it. I mean, clearly the material works because it touches people. I mean, people are, are, are emotionally, and the stories are emotional. They all have a beginning, middle, and end. They're all three-part stories. They're not just, and then I bought this car. I'm sure you guys have read books like that, these sort of auto memoirs where they're just long lists of every car the person has ever owned. Yeah. Well, they're snooze fests. They're snooze fests. <laughs> I mean, you just kind of go, oh, my God. I just read one recently because I thought, oh, I should read this guy's book because, you know, it's kind of a memoir. And I, I just, it was like he was talking about mechanics that he had and all this stuff. And I thought, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Tell me something that is relatable on a universal level, something mm -hmm. that other people can say, yeah, I've had that feeling, or I know what that's like, or yeah, I get that. And that's what these stories are. These stories are universal in the sense that you, and I've heard this from a number of people, they say, yeah, this just triggered my memory and made me think of things I haven't thought of in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So it, the stories are a catalyst for other people's memories. Which is kind of nice, you know. One but the, I mean that this is about the, the physical world. You know, time is fluid. I mean, time just marches on. You're not stopping that. Except that cars are these incredible memory banks. And they stop the flow of time. And they remind us of where we've been and what we were and where we were in life and so forth. So they become incredibly emotional things for people. These stories are kind of those stories that I gathered from other people. And clearly it's it's hitting a nerve with, with car people. And it's also hitting a nerve with non-car people. That's been the biggest surprise. I've been getting emails from women who say, I'm not a car person. And I picked up your book. I couldn't. I read all of it. I couldn't put it down. And I'm not a car person. Because the stories are about people. Yeah. And the yeah, cars, they really are. You know, and, and the cars are there for the car guys, you know. So it's like the guys come for the cars and the women come for the stories. <laughs> we included the book in our holiday gift guide a couple of weeks ago. I thank, you for that. I thank you for that. Well, it deserved to be there. Are you hearing from others about uh, giving the book for the holidays? Yes. Uh, the call, the emails that, that, that I'm getting are people will buy one, you know, they kind of say, well, okay, throw the guy a bone, buy, buy his book, right? And then the next thing I get is, well, I, I just ordered six because <laughs> I know people that will love this book, you know. And so uh, a lot of people have said it's solved a big gift-giving problem for them because it's not grossly expensive. Uh, and everybody has a car tale. Everybody has a car story. You know, some are better than others, but <laughs> everybody has some memory attached to some vehicle or some time in their life or some event or, or something. I mean, we all know guys that, you know, they grow up and they sort of become successful and then they start chasing down that first car. You know, whatever crazy first car it was that they had this love affair with. Then they spend an ungodly amount of money trying to find it. Then they spend another huge amount of money restoring it. And what they're doing is they're just recapturing their youth. They're just they're just reaching back and pulling it forward. You know, they're just saying, oh, that time when I didn't have to worry about my tax bill or my vaccinations or anything. I think also a big part of that is uh, not just looking back, but there's a you gave up so much 
you know, when you've got to do family and take on responsibilities and all of this, and there's all these things that you let go of. And sometimes it, just being able to grab one of them, go, oh yeah, you're back. Not it, me, man. I always, yeah. I always kept the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Brett's like, no, nah, I wasn't stupid. <laughs> nah, screw, screw everybody. You I see can... this fist? It never unclenched. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I have a Corvette that I've had since I was 18 and, oh. uh, yeah, well, thanks dad. But <laughs> also, uh, got another one and I got one from an uncle of mine, uh, that was in boxes and parts and pieces and uh brought it home it took several pickup truck loads but it helped me dodge how how really poor my first marriage was because <laughs> rather than coming home and dealing with the wife i eh, grab a couple beers go out to the garage work on the corvette until it's time to go to bed <laughs> so uh for me it wasn't so much that i i sacrificed my marriage for the car the car helped me kind of dodge the reality of the marriage. Yeah. Um, and vehicular therapy. Yeah. I, and I've tracked that car down and tried to buy it back from the guy I sold it to a bunch of times. He won't sell it to me. That bastard. <laughs> <laughs> having a family with his wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got some good memories in it too. Uh, wreck that marriage and then get the car back. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, we're, we're several Corvettes down the road from that one, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the way that worked. You, oh, I was saying, you know, if you really want the car, I mean, come on, yeah, come I mean, on. Well, I got. What's the hesitation here? I, I got smart on the second wife. I turned her into a car person because I bought her a Corvette when we got married. So, uh, and when I when I tell her, hey, I'm going to go uh, go work on the Corvette, she's like, oh, well, are we working on mine or yours? Uh huh. There you go. Uh, there it is. There you go. <laughs> that's love. That's how you turn your wife into a Corvette person, and that's how you get her to not gripe about your hobby. Yeah, not to hate on you. <laughs> you mentioned being involved with the Peterson Museum over the years. Isn't one of the cars from your book? at the Peterson? Yes. Uh, there is a 1963 Rolls-Royce uh, Silver Cloud III uh, that belonged to John and Evans Frankenheimer. And John Frankenheimer is a pretty well-known director, movie director, film oh, yeah. director. Uh, and I knew John uh, and before he passed. And they bought this car new together in London when John was... Uh, in France working on a movie called The Train. Uh, and they had gone to London for John to buy some clothes and they were on Conduit Street. And, you know, they he just got married with Evans uh, and they walk into the Rolls-Royce dealership and, you know, one thing led to another and he's buying her a Rolls-Royce. <laughs> but Dang. the interesting thing is they had it their, their entire lives together. Um, and when Evans, you know, was getting older and I was, after John passed, I was to remain friends with her. Then came the decision. Finally, it was, she realized she wasn't driving. You know, it was kind of sitting. I drove it a number of times uh, just to keep it, you know, running and so forth. Beautiful car. I mean, absolutely uh, stunning. I mean, they, they had actually sent it back to be restored to uh, P&A Wood, I believe, uh, had done a restoration on it as well. Just stunning. But anyway, she had decided, she said, you know, I just, I want to be the only owner of this car. So she didn't want to sell it. So we started looking at museums and places where she could donate it. 
and it became clear that the Peterson was the only place that that car deserved to be. So I helped her kind of do that. And in the process, she said to me, she said, would you write the story? And I said, I would love to write the story. Uh, so that is the first chapter in the book is the story of uh, getting the car, the car's life, and then going to the Peterson. Yeah, the, the kind of amazing thing about that, the history of that car, is that John and Evans were friends with Robert Kennedy. And John was making a documentary of his run for the presidency. So uh, Robert Kennedy was at the Ambassador Hotel, and he had been staying with the Frankenheimers. And that car was idling outside of the kitchen door at the Ambassador Hotel with its back door open, waiting for Robert Kennedy to step inside to go home. Oh, he didn't quite make it. No. Wow. Um, we're talking 25 feet, maybe 30 feet Lord's from mercy. where he was shot to that door of that car. That's kind of an amazing history. You know, uh, you think about that, and you kind of go, wow. So once I kind of got all the details of this story, I said, yes, I would be honored to write it. Uh, so then I had this great experience of having done that. Then we donated, how to donate the car and all that. And then they went into their sort of permanent collection in the vault down at the Peterson. So one day I happened to be in the vault for some other business and I'm walking around and I see the tour guide with a group of people walk up to the Frankenheimer Rolls Royce. And I went, Oh, this should be interesting. <laughs> so I kind of sidled on over and kind of stood there and blended in with the crowd and listened to him, the, the tour guide, tell the story. And Did he told it. Perfect. I was going to ask, did he get it right? Every single detail. He got it absolutely perfectly. And I was, I was just stunned. And then, so the, then they were starting to move away and I walked up to him and I said, look, I got to tell you, I said, I was really impressed. I said, you really know this car and you really know this history. I said, you got every single detail, right? And he said, well, how do you know? And I said, because I wrote it. <laughs> so that was a, that was a very nice moment that was a really nice moment because i felt like i had really helped to not only preserve the car by helping her donate it but i had preserved its story now its story is being told to people who visit the vault nice that, that, that was really nice um so in it's a very good story so that's why i put it as the first story in the book where can people find Tales from the Garage? Tales from the Garage, where we all go to live these days. Amazon. <laughs> You're not incorrect, sir. You're not wrong. <laughs> I might have a few there myself. <laughs> imagine you you know, we used to have lives that didn't have Amazon and didn't have smartphones. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> no, no pictures, no proof. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, oh, no, you're looking for Amazon, and most of the time it's both. I have a daydream where I no longer own a smartphone. Where I just, um, I don't have it. I don't need it. People don't call me. I don't. <laughs> it's, it's a very addictive. It's, it's, it's a very addictive device. It's been proven that it's addictive. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I kind of long for the days of, you know, even fax machines seem like high tech to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, uh, gee, many facts. Oh, you can also go to uh, talesfromthegarage.com 
which gives you a little background and longer quotes and, you know, stuff, but also a direct link to Amazon. Nice. Um, I have to tell you that, you know, a lot of people ask me why I decided to do Amazon instead of a traditional publisher. And part of the reason was is that what I was doing with this book was really pushing the limits of kind of printing technology. You know, if you notice how a lot of the artwork bleeds off the page and does a lot of things, a lot of that's hard to do technically and would have made it to a much more expensive book. Yeah. This way I was able to, because with the Amazon thing, you have to create the book. And so I created this book from start to finish, from front cover to back cover. Speaking of the artwork, and we didn't get a—I didn't get a chance to say this earlier. The artwork is is kind of part movie poster and part—it it looks like old car brochures with the illustrations in them, and uh, the artwork's beautiful. It really grabs your attention. Right. Well, that was by design. Uh, you know. Well, I'm sure it I was. Have a background in entertainment, so it's not lost on me. Uh, the art of the movie poster looms large in my life, um, and I'm, you know, visually oriented, you know, so it's 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 always what attracts me, you know, it's just like whatever it is. Uh, so I decided to make a book that would be attractive, you know, that you would want to read um, because you were pulled into it well, visually. Very well done, sir. Do you think you'll do a sequel? Uh well, I'm still writing. Uh, I, the Tales from the Garage column is now in a magazine, uh, uh, Old Cars Weekly. You guys, you guys know that uh, magazine. I have a friend who writes for Old Cars Weekly. Oh well, I guess he and I are comrades now. B. Mitchell, uh, B. Mitchell Carlson. Oh, I don't know him, but you know. He did. Uh, anyway, so Tales from the Garage moved over there, and then they've run a couple pieces of mine. I, I dug out a, I found a Packard. 40 Packard, original owner, been sitting in the garage since 1961 when the owner pulled it in and had a heart attack. Oh, God. It was, unfortunately, it wasn't a, you know, a coupe. It wasn't a convertible. It was a four-door sedan. I think it was a 110. It was kind of their economy model. But the story, the idea that this car had been sleeping in this garage in really good, you know, protected, not damp, not wet, you know, just totally preserved. Uh, and I found it and, and it was like, I said to the owners, I said, well, you know, let me see if I can find somebody. Uh, so I did find somebody. So it's a very interesting story. It's a two-part story I did for Old Cars Weekly about the discovery of it and then finding a new buyer and a new home for it. Yeah. Uh, it's a very cool story. So that's there. The sequel to this book I don't know. I haven't caught my breath from this yet. I have to tell you, it was like... <laughs> it's okay to drink it in. Enjoy the moment. And, and, but eventually, we're going to want to see more from you, more. Rodney, because you've done a really fantastic job the first time around. Well, thank you. Um, the, the thing is, you know, what I also surprised me about this, I heard from a lot of people, and I was surprised. I said to my wife, I said, why are people so congratulatory? Why are there all these emails saying, oh, congratulations, congratulations, and you did this book. And then I began to realize that it's a real fantasy for people to write and finish a book. I didn't realize that it was on so many people's bucket list. And so to see somebody that you know who's actually created a book out of whole cloth, you know, from start to finish, is like an achievement for them. And they kind of like want to go, Wow, 
you did it. You know, you kind of crossed the finish line. So I realized that it, it has, it resonates with people. The fact that you kind of create something and see it from beginning to end and can take complete authorship. of it. Mark can relate. He's done that six times. Yeah, I put out a few books myself, too, all of them on Amazon and had a few stories published in uh, some magazines. But, uh, yeah, it's a it's a cool feeling. And, and it is kind of wild that people will come up and go, wait, you did this? Like, yeah. And they're, it's it's that like just like you said, it's a bucket list. It's a thing they wanted to do, but didn't really think they could. And sometimes you're like, you know, I just got to do it. It's I'm just going to get it done and I'll figure it out. And. Uh, some parts are super complicated and then some parts are like, oh my God, I could have done this in my sleep. And then the rest is just hoping somebody loves it as much as you do. (laughs) You know, you've done this. And so you know what the experience is. You think, well, does anybody care about this? You know, is is this going to resonate with anybody or am I just doing this for myself? And isn't it a sexy thrill when that big old couple, three boxes from Amazon land on your doorstep <laughs> and you pop it open, you're like, this is my book. And, uh, and it's just so, it, it just feels good to have it in your hands. Well, for Mark, well, there's... You know, I wish I could say that there was, you know, we had, because of the, the, the book is complicated to produce visually and, and graphically and all the ink and, you know, I mean, it's just a lot of colors and stuff. We had some technical problems, so I had to go through a number of proofs with Amazon uh, to get to this final version. Um, that was a little frustrating, I must admit, you know, because with Amazon, as you know, there's no there there, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it depends upon what part of the country they decide to use as a printer. I will, I will admit that there was one time uh, I got a box of books and I'm like, I, I had to get hold of Amazon because they put the books in there. Then they put no padding around it. And those things bounced oh, all through that, just got you know, got their death. biggest box possible, dumped, you know, 20 bu- books into it and then let it jumble double across the USA. Yeah, I got beat to death on its oh, way Oh my to God. It. Yeah, I got Mr. Toad's wild ride for a book. And, uh, but they, they took care of me. I will tell. Now here's the upside and downside for Mark. He's, he's one of my favorite horror writers. I really love what he writes, <laughs> no. and I have all his books. The downside is, <laughs> when I don't like the ending, I bitch at him. <laughs> <laughs> For years. <Yeah. laughs> I still can't live that one down. <laughs> I, I'm not letting it go. What happened at the end? I'm not letting it go. Did the werewolf... Why? I'm why? not letting it go. <laughs> yeah. We've been I'm speak- assuming like childbirth that you, you forget it and you do another one. You know? <laughs> We've been speaking with Rodney Kemmerer, author of Tales from the Garage. Rodney, please tell us where we can find you online and on social media. We do have a Facebook page for the book, uh, Tales from the Garage, whatever it is, you know, Tales from the Garage. And then there's a hashtag, I believe, for what is it, Instagram? I don't know. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my, my thing. Rodney, that's perfect. And thank you so much for being with us. Well, guys, thank you so much. The guy just took a bunch of his articles that were very well written and well done and turned them into a super cool book. You know, he and he didn't he talked it kind of down a little bit. That's actually a brilliant thing to do. It's not really recycling. It's gathering things together, making it a cohesive line for people to enjoy across because you go to blogs and you have to skip a jump and go to this. But he was able to pull it together and then he added pictures. It's a fantastic book and brilliantly illustrated. And I am going to be giving that out. So, uh, you know, if you're on my Christmas list, you're probably getting one of these. If you're on, if you're on Brett's list, you ready? There you go. Brace yourself. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, or on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yep. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Thank you.